Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus, official playoff clinched edition. We had it live on the show yesterday as Caleb Ort closed out the Baltimore Orioles, securing the Toronto Blue Jays a playoff spot. Plenty still ahead. Jays have six games left. There are 252 different scenarios uh, in terms of Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle final records. Really, there are five different outcomes we could group them all into, but we won't. We're going to go through all 252 possibilities one by one starting now. I'm kidding, of course. Um, But the Blue Jays do head into a pretty pivotal weekend against the Boston Red Sox at Rogers Center. Last three regular season home games of the year with the goal of locking in postseason home games. To do that, and we'll go through some of the scenarios throughout the show. To do that, the Jays still have some work to do. They have a game and a half edge on Seattle, a two-game edge on Tampa Bay. The Rays, by the way, are at Houston and then at Boston, while Seattle is hosting Oakland and then hosting Detroit. The Jays, of course, have Boston here and then go on the road to face Baltimore. Ideally, the Jays come out of this weekend still in control of their destiny and pretty confident in their ability to lock up home field advantage so that they can play those last couple games with an eye toward the wildcard series, optimizing your rotation, getting some rest in, whatever you need to do. Maybe even working in Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Santiago Espinal as they try to get back from injury. So these games against the Red Sox are notable. It's also your last full time through the rotation. The last time's up at the plate for a few key guys. Later in the show, we'll go through some of the the statistical milestones we're looking at and keeping an eye on over the course of these last six. Not much in the way of notes today with the Jays off yesterday. Uh, The Buffalo Bison season is done. They wrapped up Wednesday. So that's of note just because as Gurriel and Espinal make their way back, there's no longer a rehab assignment available to them. Triple A, double A, single A, high A, all all wrapped for the year. So you got to come back into major league action. Uh, The other note, Caleb Ort, the hero yesterday, J.D. Martinez, it's a two-run home run. And then Caleb Ort, a very fun name to say, uh, locks the save down. He is not here. He is expected to be the only Boston Red Sox who hits the restricted list. He will also have the honor or dishonor, if you prefer, of at least for now, this set of restrictions and this pandemic being the last guy to hit the restricted list. Those restrictions, of course, lift before a Jays playoff opponent would come. So Caleb Ort has that dishonor. Uh, The series we have ahead, Alec Manoa against Nick Pavetta tonight, Ross Stripling against Brian Bayo tomorrow, Kevin Gosman against the TBD on Sunday. We're going to talk to Keegan Matheson momentarily. Uh, We've got Jen McCaffrey who covers the Red Sox for the athletic. We've got Ben Ennis, coming into the office a little early to talk to me. It's going to be a fun show. We've also got a bunch of mailbag stuff left over from yesterday, and we'll do what we always do, teeing up the lineups for tonight and the pitching matchups. But first, if you're heading down to the game tonight, engage with what's going on. Today is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Um, The Jays will do their part to participate in that with pregame recognitions, in-game recognitions. Um, The Jays Care Foundation is giving $150,000 in community givebacks. We will hear the anthem in English, French, and Blackfoot. Um, The Jays will be joined by 
some survivors of the residential school systems and their family and community members. Um, there will be 250 children from the Indigenous Rookie League Jays Care Program. So uh, a lot going on down there. And we ask of you, or I ask of you, I'm not speaking for anyone else, uh, engage with that. Listen and learn. And, um, you know, if you're looking for more resources um, to learn or relearn as it were, um, you know, I've, I've retweeted some throughout the day. I posted some on Instagram. You can, you surely can find them um, wherever. This is, you know, today the orange shirts are great for visibility and for getting the message out and showing solidarity with Indigenous peoples. But it's not just about capitalism and, and you know, buy something orange. Um, engage with the stories. Engage with the legal history. Um, and honestly, one of the ways I've really come as I, as I relearn our country's history over the years, come to understand, um, not, you can't fully understand obviously as a, as a white person and a settler. Um, but to try to learn about indigenous cultures is through art and, you know, whether it's Tanya Tagak who has books and music and, um, a, a couple things going up at Nuit Blanche tomorrow, um, or it's, Music, um, you know, I saw Jeremy Dutcher perform live at the 2019 Polaris Awards when when he won that award. Um, I'm going to play, you guys know that I always pick the music coming back from break. Uh, throughout this one, we're going to listen to some Canadian uh, Indigenous hip-hop artists as we come back. Um, so, yeah, that that's another way you can engage with this and engage with our country's history and its Indigenous people. So um, on top of all that, obviously, of course, um, push your local politicians, your your higher-up politicians for uh, real, actionable change when it comes to our country's treatment of Indigenous peoples as well. So we'll mention that again throughout, uh, throughout the show, probably. Um, you'll see a lot of that stuff down at the Rogers Centre. You will also see, perhaps... The Toronto Blue Jays half celebrating that they've made the postseason. We're joined now by Keegan Matheson of MLB.com. Keegan Matheson, how did you celebrate the Toronto Blue Jays clinching a playoff spot yesterday? I enjoyed a, a quiet evening on my couch with a, a glass or three of lovely Four Roses bourbon. But that's just kind of normal. I don't think anything out of the ordinary happens. So it was a, a quiet night, a weird one, Blake. It, uh, you know, We were looking forward to seeing what would happen in a celebration here with the beer and champagne and home fans. And it turned into a bunch of uh, individual segmented celebrations in condos and hotel rooms for these players. So I'm sure a few of them got together with a couple, uh, but uh, certainly a, a muted one, a quiet one. So I'm interested to see what they do here today. Well, interesting choice for you to go the four roses route. Um, obviously, that that's a great choice on any day. But you know what we say about about bourbon whiskey distilled for the eradication of seemingly incurable sadness. Um, so uh, uh, maybe counterintuitive choice for a, a celebratory day. Um, you mentioned that we don't really know what the Jays are going to do. Um, do you think there's a scenario where they just kind of push it back and it's like, okay, we'll, we'll kind of do a more proper celebration if and when we lock up home field. That makes more sense at this point. Uh, you know, tonight you have to at least win. Good. I don't think you can pop champagne after a loss of the Red Sox. <laughs> so that, that's number one. I don't know how well that would go over, uh, especially with the crowd of people who get upset about them wearing a jacket after they succeed at their sport. But at this point, yeah, you probably wait for a bigger one when you clinch home field. That's the real race now. It's uh, certainly not to diminish uh, clinching a postseason spot after a long season. That's a massive accomplishment. It's worth celebrating, absolutely. 
but it's been a, a bit of a given uh, for a few weeks now since the, the Baltimore Orioles faded out of the race a bit. And the real race now is certainly for home field. The Blue Jays want nothing to do with the trop. I do, but not everyone appreciates <laughs> the trop like I do. And the Blue Jays want nothing to do with a West Coast trip out to Seattle. That's not advantageous either. So it's all about home field. It's you're right. It's all about home field for a number of reasons. High on there, um, obviously upsetting you, ticking you off. Uh, your your favorite place in the world. Um, so I, I joked off the top that there are 252 different potential scenarios. Uh, that could happen over these last couple games. When you look at Jays having six games, Rays having six, Seattle having seven. Realistically, though, there are five outcomes. The Jays play at Cleveland. The Jays play at Tampa Bay. The Jays play at Seattle. Or the Jays host Tampa Bay. Or the Jays host Seattle. Do you have a lean? Let's do, I, I'm going to ask you through a couple different lenses. First, as a beat writer, when you consider city, the media, food spread, travel, all that, what is the ideal of those five for you, Keegan Matheson? Oh, I love this. Selfishness. Now we're talking. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's certainly being here in Toronto would be ideal. Um, I can look out my condo window and see the tip of the dome. It's a pretty easy commute. It's uh, not dealing with any travel because flying right now is not the most fun you can have. So I, I think for myself, and the same would go for a lot of these players, we talk about home field advantage in terms of the rah-rah scenario where they're feeding off of energy. When you talk to players, so much of it is just sleeping in your own bed, taking your shirt out of a closet the next day instead of a suitcase, having breakfast where you want to have breakfast. All of these things that are not on your mind when you're traveling on the road and you're in a different city. So just the sake of simplicity, uh, I think, is a beautiful thing off the top. So from the team's perspective, I think we can agree that they would rather be at home than on the road against whichever opponent. So from their perspective, we could narrow this down to three ideal outcomes, right? So you could look at hosting Tampa Bay, hosting Seattle, and we'll include going to Cleveland just because that is the one, you know, other scenario where you could slide down and get into the easier side of the bracket. Maybe that's overthinking things. Um, Do you have a lean between these three teams, what the team might prefer or be quietly crossing their fingers for? At different styles of teams, which yeah. is where this gets interesting. The Rays are always a problem. And I know that we talk about this in some whimsical, mythical sense. But most of the time, the Rays have just been better. Maybe we don't want to admit that out loud. It's, it's not always a house of horrors with crazy bounces. It's the Rays playing better baseball a lot of the time. And they have a style of play that can really squeeze teams in the postseason. It's about not making the first mistake sometimes, not always making that biggest play. And the Rays for years have played such a tight brand of baseball. Cleveland is a little bit similar, in my opinion, now. They're playing good defense, putting a lot of balls in play, and putting pressure on that other team. So maybe Seattle is a team that you'd feel a bit more comfortable playing. Picking between postseason teams, there's a lot of poison there. But Seattle is a team, even though the Blue Jays went 2-5 and five against them, maybe it's stylistically a little bit better of a matchup for them. And you have to look at the rotations as well. So much matters about rotations and really top-end stars. Maybe you can shave a few players off the bottom of the roster who will be impacting this. So which pitchers, which stars do you want to go up against? Maybe at this point it's Seattle, but it's a tight group and a lot of different looks. 
Yeah, the the pitching thing is is fascinating because I think Shane McClanahan is the best individual pitcher you could face, but maybe you're a little more comfortable with Drew Rasmussen and the army of three and four inning raise guys behind him. Whereas you go to Cleveland or you get Seattle, it's a, it's a little deeper there. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Do you do you care at all about the are you on the Yankees side of the bracket or the Astros side of the bracket? Like, are we talking about that as? a part of this decision or is that just something we've all kind of talked ourselves into as well, you know, if things go poorly and you fall under the third spot, that's not a bad silver lining. Yeah. I think that's a little down the line at, at this point. And I think that gets to the area of the postseason where I've always been a believer. You, you either win or do you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of people remember if you fall out in the DS or the CS, you, you win or you don't uh, at this point in the postseason. So eventually you're probably going to have to beat one of those teams. And if you're the Blue Jays, you would probably rather that be the Yankees. The Astros have been so good. And oddly enough, I don't know if they're being talked about enough around the league. You know, of course, New York is always going to get some spotlight. Aaron Judge's chase for 61 and now 62 is the big story. So I think some of those individual spotlights have shifted the attention away from Houston a bit. But man, they are good. They are a team that you do not want to be facing. And I think uh, the longer you can avoid them, the better. But eventually, the road's going to lead through them. Yeah, the the Houston gap, I think, between the rest of the like, if we were tiering it, it would probably be Houston at the top. And then, given what's happened with the Yankees the last little while, I think like not even little while, the last like two three months, um, the other five teams are kind of all in their own tier. Where I. I don't feel super confident saying one of those teams is the best of that group. I would actually probably lean toward the Jays given, you know, what we can measure on a season long basis, but then you get into, well, you got to use four, maybe even five pitchers. And then that starts to fall apart. Um, when it comes to a three game series like this, Keegan in the wild card, let, we'll, we'll narrow the focus back to the wild card. Um, the Jays are trying to lock up home field advantage. Obviously that's about, a lot of things, like you said, the sleep in your own bed, the feel comfortable. It's about getting 49,000 people at the Rogers Center for each of those games. So the energy's there. Um, it's about, let's be honest, gate revenue and concession revenue and stuff like that. But from a pure, your confidence level in them making the next round, how big a swing do you think it is playing a series, assume the same opponent, you know, at home versus on the road, and I know I'm putting you in a tough spot because there's literally no precedent for this. This is the first year of this format that takes place all in one location, um, but do you have a, a sense of how big a swing that would be in your confidence level? It, it certainly matters more this year than ever, and when Ross Atkins was asked about that just the other day on Tuesday when the GM spoke, uh, he made a comment to the effect that there is a number for it, but obviously it is an advantage. So somebody in the analytics department in this building knows a number somewhere. <laughs> there must be a run total, uh, a percentage shift total. So maybe I'm looking up at the suites now. Maybe they're they're looking down and rubbing their hands and they know the truth. But it's certainly something that you want and something that the Blue Jays are valuing, something that it sounds like they're going to prioritize and really push for down this stretch in Baltimore even if that means being more aggressive on the final few days than you would like to be instead of saving up a few bullets for that last series. Having it here all three days is really an opportunity for the Blue Jays to keep their foot on the gas and be aggressive. Keeping that final at-bat in these games, being able to set up their bullpen, I Mm -hmm. think it helps mostly in that sense because the Blue Jays 
are not a super bullpen. They're not your traditional World Series pen with three closers that you just wipe teams out with. They're a little more matchup-based, trying to find proper matchups. You can do that a bit easier when you're batting last, get an early lead and set things up. So that's not the most exciting part of a game for a casual fan, but I think that's where the value will show. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm I'm with you on that, and I think the value, you know, the way you you laid out the bullpen there is uh, especially notable. Um, I wa- I do want to get into some of those decisions that the Jays have ahead and what this playoff roster could look like. Uh, before we do that, one one last one on as we try to separate or, or feel out which of Toronto, Cleveland, Tampa, Seattle might actually be the best team among the this group of of similar records. I went through some numbers. Um, we know the Jays are the best offense in the American League by average OBP and slugging. That's great. We know and can quantify they have the hardest strength of schedule of any playoff team so far this season. Um, and I'm sure it'll end that way because we're out of time here. Um, and then if we want to make it even simpler, the Jays have played 85 games against teams who are above 500. The Rays have played 80. The Mariners have played 65. The Guardians have played 49. So again, 85 for the Jays, 49 for the Guardians. We can try to quantify that kind of stuff and put a number on it. Um, But Keegan, when you're lining up these teams without doing the number stuff, does that make you a little less confident in the Guardians, a little more confident than the Blue Jays, or is that all noise? I think it has to skew you just a bit. That Guardians number is uh, kind of surprised me, uh, frankly, at this point of the year. And I know earlier in the year the Blue Jays had a bit of a tougher record, uh, below 500 record against those good teams. Not sure where that is now. But you want to be tested by this point in the season. The Blue Jays certainly have been with a lot of one-run games. Uh, that was a bit more of a storyline earlier in the season when everything seemed close, everything seemed anxious and tense. But eventually that pays off. And if you are a team that's only played 45 of those games, are you as prepared for those scenarios? Have you been through as many of those 4-3 in the eighth inning scenarios with your bullpen, with your defense, with how you are lining up your defense? It adds up over the course of the year. There are a million baseball games, and eventually they add up to these experiences. So if you're the Blue Jays, you hope that benefits you a bit. And if you end up against a team like Seattle or Cleveland, those numbers that you mentioned, you hope that they're not as familiar, which could come up in a big moment. All it really takes is it affecting one moment in one game where somebody botches a play or isn't in the right position, and that's that can flip a series. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good point. And to your earlier question about where the Jays' record is, they're thirty nine and forty six against teams above five hundred. And while that is a little below 500, of course, it's also almost the most wins against teams above 500 in the league. So it's uh, it's a little hard to make, to get too upset about it when you've just played so many of those games. If you come out even close to 500, um, I think that's how a lot of teams would take it, right? You go 500 against the good teams, you pad your record against the bad teams, and then you hope you're in a good spot come uh, come playoff time. Speaking of playoff time, Keegan, I, I, there's a lot we're going to kick around over the next couple of days um, about, you know, playoff roster, playoff decisions, things like that. There is an interesting nugget in the Toronto Blue Jays lineup tonight, though, that I wanted to ask you about. For just the second time this year, Danny Jansen is going to start at designated hitter. Alejandro Kirk will catch Alec Manoa and hit fourth. Uh, Danny Jansen at DH hitting eighth. This is something that's been a bit of a question mark because if you 
you picture a Jays optimized lineup, it probably has Jansen and Kirk in it. And while the team seems to prefer Kirk at DH, given their druthers, uh, we know that Manoa likes to pitch to Kirk or, or at least has pitched to Kirk the most. So um, Jansen at DH, has he shown you enough with the bat over this season and the end of last season to be comfortable with that in a playoff game? I think he has, and, and not just shown enough with the bat, but shown enough in big moments. Uh, Danny Jansen is somebody who has had done a lot of good things for this team this year, and uh, maybe is not the, the flashiest player, the biggest name at some times, but the value he has in that clubhouse, the value he has with that pitching staff, I think is really important. And if there is the right pitcher on the mound, I think you love having him at DH. Now, Jansen is someone where you might want to target a pitcher who is fastball-heavy, somebody who he can really sit on a fastball that he tries to turn on. That's really his MO as a hitter now, and I think that's benefited him. Uh, I really like that change Jansen made to saying, hey, I'm going to try to pull the baseball. It's what I do best. Because a thousand times a year, I hear players say that they're trying to hit the ball to all fields, that half the time the ball goes to the opposite field, the guy was just late. It's not always a good piece of hitting. So to see a guy commit to who he is and succeed with it, I think is fantastic. And he's done just that. So I think that you can risk that with the catcher in the lineup and the catcher at DH. I think that you can really chase that best possible outcome and that might be one of a series. Keegan, um, if that's the case, you like, like if that's how you're heading in and that's how we feel about the catcher positions, would you think Gabriel Moreno is more or less a lock for the playoff roster then? He's going to be the one that's right on the line, I believe. Okay. When you look at the other decisions with, I think, Bradley Zimmer, you say Kikuchi, doesn't look like Nate Pearson is really kicking the door down just yet. Those decisions could be a bit easier, but I think Moreno is that last decision that you make. In a wild card series where you're just looking at maybe, you know, ideally two games if you're taking both of them, I think at that point maybe you can risk that. You know, the Blue Jays have a couple of times this year. I know earlier in the season they were comfortable with that, having their catcher at DH. But Moreno is also someone who the Blue Jays are confident in coming off the bench as a contact bat. When we think of bench bats, you often think of that big slugging lefty or a power bat, but having someone who can come in with a runner on third, maybe one out in the eighth inning, and put a ball in play, that's really valuable. And that's someone that Moreno can do. So he'll be right on that line. I think he does offer a lot to this roster if he's kept around. But I think that's going to be the final decision. He also offers maybe some value as a pinch runner, not over your other guys necessarily, but over Jansen and Kirk, uh, guys you might pinch run for. So uh, potentially some utility there as well. Obviously faster and better base runners on this roster, but they've shown they'll use that multiple times in one game. Uh, Keegan, last one before I let you go talk to John Schneider. What do you care most about these last six games? I think these last six, you care about home field, seeing this team get home field, and then having a day or two, ideally, to line themselves up and maybe give a couple of guys a day of rest. I think that you care about not taking this to the final day of the season because having a quick breather could be so important to this team. It's the tiring season. I mean, I'm tired and I don't do a thing. I sit in the seat <laughs> for 162 games. So if you're actually out there playing, your body's exhausted at this point. So even if they can wrap up that home field advantage by game 161, that's a massive advantage for them and a huge belief because then you are not rolling out Alec Manoa on that last day of the season. You are comfortable saving him for that wild card. 
And you can give players, everyday players like Bo, like Vladdy, even a half-game breather, something to relax, get their bodies right, and their minds right. A mental break is important as well for that start of the wild card series. So the quicker you can do that, the better, but looks like it's going to come down here pretty late. Keegan, good news for you. If you are tired, as you said, uh, the one big adjustment the Jays have made heading into the, the postseason energy drinks now available in the media room. So you, uh, you go uh, dip into that. We'll let you go here. Uh, thanks for taking the time out, man. You got it. I'll go grab a Red Bull and find a heart doctor here. Take care, Blake. There you go. Keegan Matheson, MLB.com, BlueJays.com. Check out all his great work there. Small updates. Small updates. Uh, Chris Cotillo, our pal, passes on that Caleb Ort, who I mentioned earlier, is on the restricted list due to vaccination status, is actually intending to join the Red Sox tomorrow once the restrictions are lifted. So he's just going to show up a little late. Uh, That's an interesting twist there. Uh, Arden Zwelling also passing on that the Jays' current plan is to celebrate clinching a postseason berth in their clubhouse following the game tonight. Uh, John Schneider saying, whenever you have a chance to do that, you have to embrace it. You have to not ignore it. It doesn't happen all the time. Uh, The idea there, I think, being you're not celebrating it as if you won the championship, but baseball is the hardest sport to make the postseason in. 162 games is a long grind. And yes, this was the expectation for this Jays team, but they met it. So you, uh, you know, raise a glass or or whatever it is you do. We're going to take a break and go raise a glass of coffee. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk to Jen McCaffrey. She covers the Red Sox for The Athletic. We're going to ask her to pass on a thank you to J.D. Martinez for the clinching home run yesterday. And we're going to see what's going on in Boston right now and what the heck is going to happen with that team this offseason. Jen McCaffrey next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the J.D. Bunkus podcast weekday mornings at nine on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is an indigenous hip hop duo from Kitimat Village in British Columbia called Snotty Nose Res Kids. Uh, they rule. Awesome live show. Believe they're in Toronto in December. So check them out. And if you like what they're about, uh, check out that live show. They're really, really good. Um, Jay's back in action tonight. 7.07 first pitch. Ben Wagner on the call. And I think Caleb Joseph. Caleb Joseph, producer JR, tells me. The Jays will start Alec Manoa, potentially his last start of the regular season. The Red Sox will start Nick Pavetta, who uh, has fallen on hard times the last little bit. See if Jen McCaffrey can fill us in on that. Jen McCaffrey covers the Red Sox for The Athletic. Uh, How are you? And can you please pass along a thank you to J.D. Martinez for helping the Jays clinch the next time you see him? Yeah, um, yeah. Doing okay, and I will tell him that you guys said that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How are things around this team right now? I know it's been kind of a a trying year. Are things lightening up at all with the end near here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, guys are pretty loose, and I think just kind of ready for it all to be over. Um, So I think they're just kind of, yeah, riding out the next few games and uh, just trying to figure out what the future is going to be here and uh, see who's still going to be around. There's going to be a lot of changes coming, but um, yeah, I think they're trying to uh, 
just kind of stick together for these last few games because they don't know who's going to be here next year and know it's going to look a lot different. It certainly is. And, you know, if we were looking for any good sign that things might turn around uh, for Boston, I, I don't know if you're aware, Jen, uh, Dropkick Murphy's released a new album today. That maybe uh, maybe gives these guys a kickstart if you still associate that with the, the 2004 run, um, but probably not. Um, what is reason for optimism, though, perhaps, is a couple of good young players that the Red Sox have called up over the course of the year. Um, I want to ask you about Brian Bayo as well, but first, uh, Tristan Casas has been up for a little bit now. The future is obviously very bright for him. Um, how has that experience been so far, his first 20 or so games in the majors? Yeah, he, uh, you know, the average, um, you know, doesn't really look all that impressive, but obviously nowadays in baseball, that's not really what we're looking at. Um, you know, he's he's walked um, a tremendous amount of time. He has a very strong uh, plate discipline or, uh, you know, just his approach at the plate is is uh, beyond, you know, what you'd expect from a guy that just came up and he's very um, just in tune with the game itself. It's just, uh, it definitely stands out compared to really any other Red Sox prospect um, that's come up in years, uh, to be honest. So it's been pretty interesting. I just watch how he goes about the game and, um, uh, you know, he barely swings at anything. And when he does, uh, it feels like it's a home run. He's, got uh you know for a, a while there he had more home runs um than uh, than anything so it was uh it's been good yeah and uh he's he's going to be a piece of their future and uh he should be interesting to watch yeah it's certainly it's pretty incredible to see the plate discipline stuff like you mentioned 17 strikeouts 17 walks in 22 games that's pretty pretty remarkable um to even i mean for any player period to have as many walks as strikeouts but for a young player in his first cup of coffee um jen maybe one of the questions with casas is um where does he play eventually and, and i know he's at first base for the most part right now but this is a massive dude who I know some of the prospect people were curious, you know, does he end up having to land at designated hitter on a more regular basis? Um, how has he been defensively so far? Yeah, he's excellent defensively. He's well ahead of anybody they had this year. And that's probably not saying too much, just given their defense at first was pretty brutal, but um, yeah, I think, you know, he's people have around the team and around the league of, you know, said he could be a gold glove caliber first baseman. He's extremely sure handed. Some of the plays he's made have been very heads up. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he's a DH for any time soon. Um, he looks like he's, you know, even though he's a really, really big guy, he he moves pretty well. Um, and it's kind of a surprising, you know, it's it's. Um, it just kind of reminds you, I guess, a little bit, a bit of Vlad, um, just the way that he's able to kind of, um, you know, move his body in, the, in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a guy that big. So I don't think he's going to be moving off of first base anytime soon. He pretty much seems like uh, the future for many years to come over there at first, maybe, you know, well down the line. I think Devers, if, you know, if he's going to be staying in Boston, he's probably um, more of a bet to move to, to DH on a long-term basis um, after, you know, a few years, at, a few more years at third. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't think that that's uh, anytime soon that they'd move him to DH. I think they really value what he brings at first base and, and kind of um, how just what they he showed them over these first few games too. 
That's great. And I love the Vlad comparison, both defensively and, you know, a, a bigger guy who has maybe more range than you'd think. And a guy whose bat you probably want in the DH slot on days off. But if his glove is valuable, uh, first base isn't a bad spot to have him. Um, another young guy who the Ra- the Red Sox rather have called up this year, um, Brian Bayo. He's gotten into 12 games, 10 starts. Not bad numbers by any means. Uh, I believe he's going to start tomorrow's game against the Blue Jays. Um, where is Brian Bayo at in terms of, of his development? And is this a guy who has already made a pretty strong case for next year's rotation? Yeah, the, the numbers look a little skewed for him just because those first few starts, he probably wasn't ready to be called up, but they were in such an, a dire need of, you know, having a, having um, just guys that were as close as possible to the majors that he, he scuffled over that first, you know, that month of July where he was trying to, trying to get his uh, feet under him. I know it was a rough start against, against the Jays uh, late July, right after the the break there. But, um, but he's, you know, he's actually really come into his own in five, you know, five starts this past month. He's got like a 160 ERA. Um, he, he's been pretty, pretty terrific. So that's been another guy that's been, really um, just impressive to watch and kind of, you know, does give people some optimism for the future. He, you know, barring anything injuries or, you know, anything crazy unforeseen, I would say he's almost a lock for the rotation next year. Um, He's uh, he's definitely kind of, you know, cut, cut, uh, cut himself out for, for a role next year and really just taken advice from a lot of the older veterans on the team here and developing pitches from, you know, start to start. And um, you can see him kind of making adjustments uh, almost in real time. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy for, again, another guy that's, you know, 23 years old. So yeah, he, um, he's been, he's been really interesting to watch and just how he goes about, he's very confident, um, you know, on the mound, but he's also not cocky in a sense that, you know, he, he's been asking for help and, you know, talking to Rich Hill about a curveball and a Valdi and how to prepare for games and walk us. So having those veteran guys around, I think, really helped him accelerate that development. Um, but yeah, he's been he's been terrific over the past month. Another one of those veteran guys in the rotation is Nick Pavetta. He's he's a Canadian. He'll start tonight, so all eyes will be on him uh, at Rogers Center. But he is someone whose season has kind of gone the opposite direction of Bayo's. He, he had a pretty strong start, a really good May and June, and it's been rough going for him since then. Um, what is what has you know Pavetta lost the feel for, or what's gone wrong for him over the second half of this season? Yeah, it just really hasn't been consistent. It's been, you know, especially against uh, against teams in the division, which the Red Sox themselves obviously have been pretty brutal against um, the rest of the division. But Pavetta in particular hasn't been able to, to um, get anything really going against uh, against any of the teams here in the East. So, um, yeah, really just it's command. Like, he really has lacked a lot of command um, in his in starts really in the second half here, and it's um, obviously, you know, with a guy like him, that's what you need. So he's, uh, he's, he's been struggling. Um, and you know, I think he's probably, you know, the first to admit it. So he, he's pretty disappointed with the season he's had, but, um, I think that's what you could probably say for all these guys. There's not really, um, too many of them that, you know, have been happy with the way they've performed this year. And that's kind of where, why they are in the spot they're in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, for him in particular, um, you know, I know, these are always big games for him when he's kind of coming back to uh, to Canada and having a lot of family, um, you know, that will will come over. So I know those are always big, um, big, uh, big games for him. So so maybe he'll try to, you know, um, 
step up a little bit more uh, for this one. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a rough uh, a rough second half for him. Do you um, have a sense or, or a lean on who may start Sunday? For Boston, Jen, um, right now it's currently a TBD. It would be Waka's turn normally, but I could also see, I know Rich Hill wants to keep pitching, but that's a potential Rich Hill's last career start spot unless they uh, they want to get it uh, for him a little later. Um, w- would you lean Waka there? Do you have a sense? Yeah, so I think the reason it's CBD is just Waka kind of got beat up pretty bad in his last outing, and they weren't sure if there was anything um, they needed to kind of keep an eye out for um, health-wise with him kind of going into the next start. So they've been kind of monitoring him, and I think he's still, as of you know right now, I think uh, Cora talks with reporters in a little bit, but he's still, as of right now, slated uh, to go on Sunday. I know it's TBD, but that's kind of like their – they're kind of keeping it, their options open just in case. They do have a, a bunch. I don't think that they'd slide Hill um, into that spot because I think they want him to make his last start at at, uh, at Fenway um, next week when they get back back home. But um, but they have a couple of guys on the taxi squad that they could kind of flip guys out if they need, like uh, Josh Winkowski or, um, yeah, probably he's probably the, the top guy that could slide in. They do have another prospect on the taxi squad, Brian Mata, who worked his whole way back from Tommy John surgery this year. And so he's, he's on the taxi squad with them too. Um, not, I, I feel like it'd be more of an emergency situation if they kind of slid him in, but, um, but I, you know, I, unless you know, they feel that Waka's really can't go, um, I feel like he's probably, uh, probably going to make that start. Jen, this is uh, what. Well, thank you for that. By the way, it's a uh, it's a great snapshot of where the Red Sox are at right now. Um, before we let you go, I want to pivot to where the Red Sox may be going. This has obviously been a difficult year. There are um, dollar concerns in terms of their proximity to the the competitive balance tax and things like that. The AL East is getting tougher with the Orioles emerging, even if the schedule is getting a little more balanced. Um, Boston has some tough decisions ahead. J.D. Martinez, Michael Walker, Nate Valdi, all free agents. Sander Bogarts can be a free agent. Um, what does the near-term future of this team look like? What are the big, you know, is it as big a decision as it feels in terms of, you know, do we have to take a step back? Or are we ready to push back in? What is your feeling on the near future of the Boston Red Sox? Yeah, this is a pretty, um, you know, this is probably one of the bigger off seasons they've had in quite a while. And it's definitely going to be the, you know, kind of the biggest for Heim Bloom since he's been here. Um, and just remaking this team, you know, a lot of these guys are not going to be back. Probably, you know, J.D., Nate Evaldi, um, you know, you brought in a guy like Waka, but he had such a great year that he's, he's probably going to be, you know, uh, out there as, as one of the, you know, the guys getting a, a decent deal on the free agent market. So um, and the biggest questions, though, and the more most immediate question is Xander Bogarts. He has an opt out at the end of the year um, and is probably going to take it. Uh, so, you know, figuring out if they can restructure, kind of rework a new contract with him as agent Scott Boris. So obviously that, um, you know, makes things always, always tough. Um, he's a tough negotiator. Um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be the biggest thing of, you know, what's the future for, for Bogarts who's been here the longest, you know, tenured member of the team since 2013. So he's kind of the heart and soul of the team and what's going to happen with him is, has really been the story of these last couple of weeks of, you know, where, where are they going to go if they don't, you know, um, kind of give him a, a boost in his salary or figure out what they're going to do uh, with him. And then, and then Devers too. Devers becomes a free agent after next year. Mm-hmm. So they have him for one more year of control. Um, 
but trying to lock him up to a long-term deal. You know, obviously that was something they wanted to do with Mookie and didn't do and um, have felt the wrath of the fan base ever since then. And uh, I think they, they lost a lot of fans, you know, in doing that. I know they did. So I think uh, they're taking that very seriously too and trying to um, potentially work out a long-term deal with, with Devers too. So there's there's a ton of stuff that needs to be done this winter, remaking the rotation. Um, you know, you're getting Chris Sale back next year, but uh, is he going to be healthy? Um, you know, if you don't have Evaldi, all you really have right now in the rotation are Pavetta and, and Bayo. Um, so, you know, you, you got to kind of remake the rotation this winter. There's a really just, um, it's going to look like a totally different team. Um, and uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a very busy off season for them. I think they are more stepping into it and pushing forward. I don't think they can afford to have another uh, last last place finish here. Their payroll is already, you know, one of the top six in baseball, 230 million. So, um, you know, I don't think that they're going to step back from, from spending and they've already said they're going to keep spending, but it's just a matter of putting the right guys in the right places and, uh, and, and, you know, putting together a more, uh, cohesive, I guess, winning formula here that's, uh, so they don't end up in, in the spot that they're in now where people are frustrated and just, uh, angry with where the, uh, organization has been, um, the past year or so. Jen, that's a lot to sort through, and Red Sox fans are lucky to have you at The Athletic to, to help sort through all of that. Uh, very, very interesting offseason, of course. Anytime the Red Sox are making these big decisions, that has a big effect on a team like the Blue Jays, a team like the Yankees, the entire American League East. Uh, I have just one more question for you, and it's a bit of a, a lighter one before I let you go, Jen. Uh, we know Raphael Devers looks good in that dark blue Boston uniform. If things don't go well this offseason, do you think he'd look good in a slightly lighter lighter shade of blue yeah i know honestly <laughs> like people are curious if you know he's going to be on the trade market if they don't get a, a deal done with him so uh, i wouldn't say anything's off the table to be honest i think people are very worried about that so uh so we'll see we'll see what happens there but that's going to be that's definitely going to be something people are monitoring throughout the the winter of you know if, if they don't get a deal done with him is, is it going to turn into another Mookie situation where they trade him so um yeah I mean it's it's definitely a, a possibility so we'll uh, we'll keep we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that well uh high stakes ahead um Jed McCaffrey of The Athletic keep up all the great work and thank you so much for taking the time out all right thanks for having me Jed McCaffrey of The Athletic uh excellent excellent work over there covering uh, this Red Sox team, and we've seen her do an excellent job covering a very good version of the Red Sox team and an excellent job covering uh, a shakier version of a Red Sox team. That franchise has been very up and down the last decade or so. Toronto Blue Jays fans hoping that they have at least one more weekend of down in them as the Jays try to clinch home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs. A couple little updates from down at Rogers Center for you. I mentioned earlier, uh, Arden Zwelling passed along that the Jays' plan is to celebrate after clinching a postseason berth, or sorry, to celebrate clinching a postseason berth uh, in the clubhouse after tonight's game. That would obviously be much, much sweeter if it's coming after a win than a loss, and if you're a little closer to getting home field advantage in that first round series. Um, Arden also passes on that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is doing some running today down at Rogers Center. Um, he's yet to test his quad or his hamstring rather on the base paths. Um, he's hitting, throwing, running just, uh, you know, with a, a soft tissue, lower body injury. The bases are usually the last thing to come. Santiago Espinal is running the bases, 
In his case, it's an oblique injury. He's ramping up baseball activity. Um, Both guys day-to-day. The hope, obviously, to get those guys in a game or two at least before the wildcard series. If they don't, some tough decisions to be made there. I still probably think if they're both, if they both had the green light to play, you, you'd prefer them rusty over, you know, say an Otto Lopez who's been on the roster forever now and hasn't been seen. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a tough spot. Trying to work those guys back in right at the, the kind of buzzer here. And then, you know, with Espinal, I think with how Whit Merrifield has played the last week and change, and the presence of Biggio, Espinal might just drop back into a, a bench role, a defensive replacement kind of role, pinch runner maybe. Um, maybe they take him back to starting if it's the right matchup, but Whit Merrifield started uh, a lot of games in a row at this point. He will start again today at second. It's his ninth start in a row. So that to me is a, a bit of a signal. The Lourdes Gurriel Jr. one is much more interesting because he was a step ahead of the other options, before he got hurt, he was playing pretty much every day. We hadn't seen much of Rymel Tapia. Tapia's numbers on the season aren't great. And he doesn't have the arm that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has. But he's been solid filling in. And the Jays trust him a little higher up in the in the lineup than his stats may suggest. That's another guy who's in there again today. We'll go through the full lineups a, a little later in the show. It's a tough one. Guriel, obviously, if he's ready to go, you have him on that roster. That's not a question. The question is more, is he starting? Is he platooning based on who, what starters you're going against? Is he a pinch hitter? Um, some of that might depend on just how far in his recovery he is, but some tough choices to make. Um, we have Ben Ennis on the other side of this hour. We're also going to tee up tonight's matchup, look at the pitchers, look at the lineups. We've got some leftover mailbag stuff from yesterday. So have a a couple of things in the text line. Um, A listener named Blake, not me, texted in that um, today in Blue Jays history, Dave Steeb's third shutout in a row to end the 1988 season Uh, And the second of back-to-back no-hitters missed with two outs and two strikes. Uh, So thanks for passing that one along. Let's hope uh, tonight's Alec Manoa start goes a little better. Manoa, by the way, some rarefied air that he's in right now in Blue Jays starting pitching history. For starters who went at least 150 innings. So we'll say a rough cutoff for a full season's worth of work. Number three in ERA, number two in whip. That's how good Alec Manoa's season's been. It's wild. Gosman's third in strikeouts per nine and ninth in total strikeouts. That feels big too. But Alec Manoa, the third best ERA and second best whip. This might be his last start of the season. We'll see if the Jays need to use him in 162 or if they save him for wild card number one or, or how they handle that. But man, appreciate it. Appreciate it down at Rogers Center tonight because this has been a monster season from Alec Manoa. Also, by the way, uh, his remember how we did that thing for a little bit where his ERA and his swinging strike rate were going in the wrong direction. His velocity was occasionally dipping early in games. And we wondered if he was, you know, feeling some fatigue or anything like that. First, I, I went and looked through the worst his ERA got in a month was like 380 or something like that. So that's a pretty good downside. But also, 
35 innings in September. He has allowed four earned runs. Uh, he's got a chance to set Blue Jays history. And this is, a, a you know, chopping up historical cutoffs even smaller, but uh, a chance to be among the leaders in lowest single month ERA for a starter in Jays history. He's clocking in at four earned over 35. So uh, we'll see how tonight goes. You could do the math on your uh, on your fan graphs app or your your phone throughout the course of the game. Well, they will update his overall ERA, but not his September ERA. The Jays get going at 707. A reminder again, if you're down at Rogers Center, there'll be a handful of things going on related to the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Um, in recognition of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, radio stations across the country are coming together across Canada to amplify, elevate, listen to, and learn from Indigenous voices with A Day to Listen 2022. It's in partnership with the Gord Downey and Cheney Wenjack Fund. Listeners can tune into radio stations across the country, including our music stations, 98.1 CHFI and KISS 92.5. Uh, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. today, listeners will hear stories from Indigenous leaders, residential school survivors, musicians, and teachers. Uh, for more information, you can visit adaytolisten.ca. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Ben Annis of Fan Drive Time comes into the office a little early we're going to go through some weekend scenarios. We're going to go through our bullpen trust rankings. And uh, we're going to debate what a wild card rotation or what an ALDS rotation uh, could and should look like for the Blue Jays. Ben Ennis next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is an indigenous artist named JB, the first lady from out in British Columbia. You can check her stuff out. Um, as I mentioned before, today is the national day for truth and reconciliation. And I have found in my own kind of personal journey of relearning about our country's history and about our indigenous people. Um, indigenous art is a great way to kind of gateway yourself into that and start to learn more and understand a little bit more as much as, uh, as much as you can, um, especially on the music side. So I played Snotty Nose Rise Kids a little earlier. That was JB, the first lady. Uh, we're going to play a little bit more when we come back from break later. You can check out a, a Jeremy Dutcher, a, a, um, Tanya Tagak. You, you can go a lot of different ways with it. Um, Polaris, who give out an annual Canadian Music Prize, do a great job of highlighting Indigenous artists in the country as well. So um, as you're seeing things like orange shirts today and orange donut holes, I roll, um, as you're seeing that stuff today, please make sure you're engaging with it actually and, uh, you know, trying to learn more, trying to relearn more. Um, and I have always found that indigenous art is a, is a great way to do that. Um, the Jays will do a few things in recognition of National Day for Truth and Reconciliation down at Rogers Center tonight. So you'll see some of that as you're watching Alec Manoa against Nick Pavetta. The Jays looking to lock up home field in the first round of the playoffs sometime in the next few days. Joining us to talk about each and every one of the 252 different standing scenarios that could play out over the next six days is 
Ben Ennis of Fan Drive Time on Sportsnet. Uh, which is your 131st favorite of the 252 scenarios? Where the Blue Jays go 0 and 6, and both the Rays and the Mariners win their remaining games, and then the Blue Jays win in two games in the wild card round, and then sweep the rest of the postseason, and everything feels meaningless. That's 131st. Okay. Out <laughs> of 252, my, wow. I was trying favorite. to go. I was trying to go not exactly middle out, but middle out compression here. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you actually care about this weekend though? Winning, I guess. I, I'm I'm so I saw the lineup today. Danny Jansen's the DH, which is the the only thing that is kind of a little bit weird, but we've seen that at times, and there's plenty of reason to have Danny Jansen's bat in the lineup the way he's swung it the last mm-hmm. couple of months and considering the alternatives. But yeah, I, I so there was the off day yesterday, which also would lead you to believe that today would not be a day that you would start resting players, but there's stuff to play for, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you, you need to probably, if you end up with four victories over these six games, it's really, really tough for, for the Rays or the Mariners to catch you. Um, but yeah, being down at the ballpark during the Yankees series and, and hearing John Schneider talking about, hey, what happens when this is official and you clinch? Like, are there some guys you'd like to... Lift from ball games, even though you have stuff to play. Like he kind of alluded to the fact that 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 might be coming. And yes, we saw that the the foot come off the gas pedal a little bit with that Alec Manoa game one sixty two thing, especially when Ross Atkins addressed the media. So um, I, I want to see them secure home field advantage because I'd like for them to play uh, after my show at Rogers <laughs> Center on Friday, so we can go back down there before game one of the wild card round. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. I don't know which which slot they would be in. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much. I, I've talked to a few people Give me the goods. around MLB, and everyone seems pretty certain that if it's Toronto-Tampa, yeah. that'll be the early slot. Yeah. If it's Toronto-Seattle, even if it's here in Toronto, they might try to play to the fact that Seattle's the only West Coast team in the, in the mix. Well, San Diego as well, but they'll be on the road too. Um, so... I would imagine then the Jays would have one of the later start times. The question then becomes, is it the primetime slot? Do you just do the four o'clock start? Um, You know, Cleveland's got another scenario to worry about where no West Coast team is going to host. So one of the central teams is maybe going to have to play at like 8.30, 9 o'clock local time, Mm. which I don't think anyone likes either. So I would like that here. Like, I'd be cool with the Blue Jays playing a home game at at 8.30. That'd be cool. You want... I'll tell you what, the 49,000 would be extremely loud for the first couple innings. When they shut off the taps at the seventh inning stretch, they might all fall asleep. That nah. might be a 49,000 person nap. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it doesn't. Okay, so the timing of that changes. But yeah, it just gives you more run up time, right? Some more. Right, but not everyone has the endurance that guys like us do, that people like us do. Like, I know we have certain morning show hosts who can eat eight loony dogs or whatever it is. Uh, I don't know that this city of rats who like $1 hot dogs can handle a, a marathon beer session. Yeah, you, you might be you might be onto something there. So, yeah, no, I, I, you, you think about this country and its professional sporting franchises in the postseason – Usually gets slapped with like the 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 afternoon weekday postseason game. The NBA TV, we the other for the Raptors, and like one o'clock for the Blue Jays playing a wild card game. Raptors fans used to get so mad at me because I love the early games. Yeah, so do I. Because we don't have normal jobs. We don't have normal jobs, and as like for me as like a basketball junkie, 
that is your best opportunity to get to watch more playoff games right. because you cover the first one, you're riding through the second one, but you're home for the third and fourth one. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem with it. No, neither did I, uh, and neither would I. I. The thing is, listen, we, we all like days off, even though this this job is a dream job. I don't want a day off on Friday. Like, I don't want that 4 o'clock slot. I want to have a show. I, got, mm-hmm. I hope that's not the case. I hope we don't get preempted. So I, I, I really do th- hope that it's it's that, yeah, the the, the primetime slot. I, I know that the Blue Jays are not a primetime draw when it comes to television eyeballs. The Mets being involved, if they are involved, like, mm-hmm. got to figure that's that's the primetime draw. But there's not a lot of sexy matchups, really. I mean, the Padres, that's not a big media market, right? Uh, Philadelphia, if they get in, it's certainly not Milwaukee if they get in. Although I will say Milwaukee of those options is like the most fun team to watch. Like Corbin sure. Burns and Devin Williams and sure. Rowdy hitting, yeah. you know, sniffing 40 home runs and stuff. I, I like watching Milwaukee, but yes, market wise, I think you're probably hoping if you're baseball that Philly gets in. Yeah. The tough question if you're major league baseball is would you prefer the Mets win the division and get the buy and secure the Mets being in later? Or do you want that market locked into Three wild card games. Well, you got the Yankees already locked into that. Yeah, yeah. So I to don't the know. second round. Yeah, yeah, to the second round. So maybe you would you would prefer not that there's any finagling or manipulating that you can do. That's not what you're suggesting. No, but yeah, no, yeah. just your preference. Yeah, <laughs> the Mets right now uh, a game up on the Braves. We don't talk about the NL side a, a ton here. The Phillies just half a game up on the Brewers, but last I checked, they're winning right now. So um, that one's going to come they're down to the, the wire. Nationals, yeah, right? they're up 5-1 on the Nationals in the first leg of a doubleheader. So uh, that one is going to... That race probably coming down to the wire. Mets-Braves coming down to the wire. And then we more or less know what the American League field is at this point. Houston, the Yankees, Cleveland, all pretty much locked into their spots. Baltimore could technically catch Tampa Bay or Seattle, but not really. No, no, it's not happening. It's over. Um, It's an incredible season for the Orioles. Like, Mm -hmm. holy cow, that team was supposed to lose 161 games this season. Yeah. And they they won. They also have all, like, I know baseball doesn't operate on a salary cap space, but they have no money on the books next year. If they wanted to fortify this Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, D.L. Hall group with some... Grayson Rodriguez, if he's ready to go next year, if they wanted to kind of speed this thing up and spend, they could do it. Yeah, they could go after Aaron Judge. Uh, Seems unlikely. What if they get Aaron Judge and Xander Bogarts (laughs) and Ross Stripling? They just take like one piece, they mega man it and And, take a piece off of everyone on the AL East. And Carlos Correa. Yeah, no, that would, yeah. Um, I I mean, I guess it's possible. You know, in in a universe with limitless possibilities, yeah, that is, that's one of them. I find it unlikely. But yeah, no, that's a team... You, you have to be careful, though, when you're projecting. But it does feel mm-hmm. like they're on, on the up, right? Like, it does feel like this is the start of something. They did some some wise, shrewd moves at, at the deadline and didn't buy into what was a super successful season. A lot of people mm-hmm. had negative things to say about them. They, they trade away their closer and their fan-favorite first baseman. But, yeah, no, that, that feels like the, that's going to be at least a four-headed monster in this division, and the Red Sox are not going to stand idly by. Like, this is... No. Luckily, next season we got a more balanced schedule, so that's good. Yes, but still only three wild card spots, so right. we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I pointed out earlier, Ben, and I want your take on this as well. I was talking to Keegan Matheson of MLB.com. Uh, if you missed that, you can check out um, the earlier segments on the podcast version, uh, Blue Jays Talk, wherever you get your podcast. But um, the Toronto Blue Jays have played 85 games this year against teams who are above 500. The Cleveland Guardians have played 49. 
Yeah. When we look at Cleveland, Toronto, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and all of those teams are very close in record, very close at run differential, whatever metrics you want to throw at it, simple rating system, whatever. They're all very close. Does the gap that Toronto and Tampa Bay have between Seattle, but to a much more extent Cleveland, does that change how you evaluate these teams at all? Like, like, is there an element of maybe Cleveland's not playoff ready or, or playoff tested? I, I don't really know what to make of that. Uh, I make of it that they play in a garbage division. They well, that advantage. much we know. Yes. yes. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're the youngest team in baseball, both on the pitching side and the position player side, like the youngest. They've also hit the second fewest home runs in major league baseball, only more than the Detroit Tigers. They don't really score. They, they, they're like a fun team to watch. And if I was a baseball fan in Cleveland, it'd be so awesome mm-hmm. to watch them because everything's a bonus, one, when you're the youngest team in baseball. But, yeah, they're fundamentally sound. And I think the Blue Jays fans, because of the series they saw the Jays play in Cleveland, think that they're a lot better than they are. Yeah. But they're not. And they have some good pitching and an incredible closer and all that. Um they're going to face even tougher pitching than they've seen for all of the season where they've not scored and not hit home runs. It's really, really difficult to string four and five hits together in a row in, a, in an inning of postseason baseball, which is really the only way they can score. Okay, if you, if you had a choice today, let me pose this question to you, Blake. You have a choice today. And this is not something that the Blue Jays can manipulate, and and there's other factors other than maybe wins and losses involved here. But if you had a choice today, Blue Jays at home against either Seattle or Tampa or on the road against Cleveland, what are you taking? I would take at home um, under the condition you don't have to throw Manoa in game 162. Okay. If, if that factor is in, I'd rather play on the road at Cleveland. Um, I think the home thing, the home field advantage is real. I think we don't know how to evaluate a a three-game series all in one location because it's never happened before. Um, But there are strategic elements. There's the 49,000. We know what, like both of us know what that Rogers Center is like in a playoff environment. And we know, you know, we've seen that it can have an impact on on players, maybe on uh, Buck Showalters. We'll we'll see. That game um, still went extra innings. And I yeah, know. And if I they know. did pitch Zach Britton, maybe the, the Blue Jays lose that game, and it's a totally different um, narrative. But they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't. Because they called down to Zach Britton, and I was deep enough down the first baseline <laughs> that I was just yelling so loudly that he didn't he hear could, the call, yeah. and he never came in. That's so right. there you go. Um, but, no, Cleveland is – I'll tell you what the most annoying scenario is, is that – the Jays do play Cleveland, Cleveland wins, and we spend an offseason of, well, the Jays just hit home runs and Cleveland hit singles, even oh. though even though the Jays lead the league in batting average. Well, that was 2015, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, yeah, because that Royals team, they also had, like, the best bullpen yeah. ever uh, that you just couldn't, well, actually, no, the Blue they Jays played, faced. They played six inning games, basically, <laughs> is what that Royals team did. And, and so did that Cleveland team that yeah. they played the subsequent year. So, yeah. yeah, they ran into some of the greatest bullpens of all time. The other factor, though, here is, that there's no reseeding after the wild card mm-hmm. round, too. So you get Cleveland. You also get the Yankees yeah. in the DS, which, hey, the, the Yankees are the division winners. you got to give them uh, all the credit in the world. And Aaron Judge is a scary fella. They're not the Astros. No. You'd rather – you. It's there's just no debate that that's the, the path you'd rather go down. I just – I think even if you have home field, even if you have your rotation set the way you want, like I think best-case scenario in a three-game series in baseball, like you're looking at like 55-45. 
in terms of odds. Like the Dodgers have lost like seven or eight series this year to bad teams. Yeah. It just happens sometimes. Um, and maybe it, it should happen a little less in the playoffs because everyone's locked in and you're throwing your best and stuff like that. Sure. But it's random enough that I'm not looking at anything yet other than you got to do what you got to do to get through. And, and that actually takes us to another question that I wanted to ask you. So um, let's assume a good case here and the Jays can operate next week as if they know they have home field. They don't have to use Manoa in game 162. So everything is available in terms of how you structure rotation in a three game wildcard series. And I've heard some debate about, well, maybe you start your bullpen day or your burrito stripling day on game two. Cause then Gosman could be available later. I, I don't know if you agree with me or not. I am, I want Gosman and Manoa in some order games one and two. I want no scenario where those guys, one of those guys doesn't factor into a game. What, what, what is this insanity? And I know people look back to the 2020 uh, series that the Blue Jays played against the Rays, which it should also be mentioned that Hunchin Ryu was not 100% healthy and might have factored into the Also, game. they lost. Yeah, what they did. But yeah, it also, it wasn't maybe just, hey, we're going to save him for game two because that's the real game. No, it might have been the guys banged up. We're mm -hmm. not so sure that he's our best option here. Turns out that, yeah, the Blue Jays had a pretty good idea what Robbie Ray was and, and Matt Shoemaker was great when he was healthy, mm -hmm. except that was few and far between. No, this whole thing about game two being the real game. You, you, Rube. That's like yeah. when, when Tony La Russa used to hit his, his pitcher eighth, right, in the National League. Yeah. Like, you're overthinking it. How well, about I want a better table setter for my number one hitter. <laughs> I get it. Um, I get it. I don't get it, but I get it. I'm with you. I think the, the idea that you could lose a two-game series without one of your two best pitchers pitching is wild to me. And I, I understand, like, the optimistic view, the planning for the best case, that lines up your ALDS more favorably. And if you use Manoa Gosman games one and two in some order, you might have to go through a five-game series where you only get two starts total from those guys. So what? But you're there. Like yes, that, I, exactly. And, and what, what kind of insanity? Like, we know how professional uh, sports coaches, managers, how they operate. They don't think, like, and they shouldn't think down the line, especially in this sport where you're talking yeah. about the tiniest sample of a maximum three games in the I, first round. You take care of what you can take care of. Plus, you know, okay, if he doesn't pitch in in that, that wild card round, sure, then maybe you can use Manoa more. But if if you're if you're playing three games, you start the guy in game one, you can use him the most. It's like yes. it's it's what they originally had planned for him a couple of weeks ago when they thought they'd be battling with the Yankees for the division title to get him in every single important series here down the stretch, and then they backed off of that. It's probably a two parter because Ross Atkins also addressed that this week that like, hey, we actually, you know, we're, we've wondered about the innings mark that Manoa's hit and, and the fatigue levels and said that that's really what's factoring into giving him the extra days of rest here. But yeah, no, you got to start Manoa and Gossman in games one and two. Like that, this is this is fun and we can we can chop it up because there's lots of stuff we have to chop up that we've rehashed many times leading up to Friday's game one of this wild card round. But no, it's asinine to think anything other than. Manoa Gossman, game one and two. Yeah. Does anyone remember the drama in 2012 when the Washington Nationals shut down Steven Strasburg yeah, because stuff. they had to, you know, protect the long term? And uh, that was even, Scott Boris shut down Steven Strasburg. Yeah. Even though he was an all star and had a 316 ERA, uh, they shut him down to save him for. I mean, look, they won a World Series during that 
era. So I guess you can't really argue with it, but guess what? The pitcher got hurt eventually. Cause he's a pitcher yeah. and uh, you didn't have him in the playoffs. So yeah, you got to use your bullets as early as possible. And I think that if we're simplifying the way you just laid it out, there is the best way to lay it out. And it's the earlier you pitch a guy, the earlier you can use him again. And that is if, because if you're taking the optimist view that you should keep the ALDS in mind while you're in the wild card, the extension of that is, well, you should keep the World Series in mind while you're in the ALDS and you just want your guys thrown as much. There's also like this year's schedule is such a bizarre rest pattern yeah, I know. compared to past years that like if you go seven in the ALCS, someone, maybe two guys starting on short rest yeah. because you play five game days in a row and no offense to Mitch White. I'm not starting Mitch White in a playoff game. Correct. I'm not. I don't know if I am using him out of the bullpen in a playoff game. So um, that is, uh, yeah, that's a big question. What would you do in the third game? I mean, it has to be Ross Stripling, I think, just because the baseline is lower. And and it is essentially what, I mean, he's like your, your, um, your best case scenario, Mitch White, right? Like that you try and get him through the lineup a couple of Twice, times. Yeah. And then, yeah, get him through four innings or whatever. I mean, the, the bullpen, if everything goes well for the Blue Jays, is going to be exhausted by the end of October, right? Like right. Jordan Romano, six out save guy. That's, I yeah. mean, if, if, if ever there's a doubt, like that guy's coming into the game in, yeah. the, in the eighth inning, Anthony Bass is getting all the important righties and Jimmy Garcia, like the, those guys are going to be on fumes if the Blue Jays do what they're expected to do this month so yeah it's it's what you don't want is what you've seen so many times from jose barrios is like the first inning mm-hmm. and it's and it's you're going to the bullpen like you you you're not asking for five you're not even asking for five out of that third starter you're asking for three or four yeah. honestly 18 batters yeah um would you hear an argument for going barrios first though just because stripling does have experience coming out of the bullpen barrios is thrown out of the bullpen once in his career it was like five six years ago stripling at least is familiar with hey get ready to come in for the third or fourth inning are we talking about the wild card round yeah like game three like you use gosman manoa you split the games and obviously that's two days later it's two you can't use your game one starter again because it's too soon yeah no i well but to me, Barrios, I I might not even have him on the wild card roster. That's that's where I was going with this is and, and like that's reasonable if you're not going to start him in game three. The question then becomes who takes the spot because then you're talking about like Mitch White's and you say Kikuchi's. Well, I mean, yeah, you could be talking about like a Nate Pearson, but they, there's some weird stuff going on with the way. So he's still on an injury rehab. Well, he's done now because the Bison season's done. The yes. minor leagues are over. But he, he's not a, eligible for that first round unless there's somebody goes on the IL so that he can be activated. And, and yeah, again, um, we heard Ross Atkins kind of address this. It's, it's a weird thing because Julian Merriweather was optioned at the exact moment that he is eligible to return for game one of the postseason. So Mm -hmm. he can still be a factor, right? Because if you're optioned, you have to stay down for 15 days, barring an injury in which you can be called back up. The other thing they could do, though, because Pearson's on the 60-day, is you clear a 40-man spot for him and activate him in one of these last couple games. Yeah, but uh, he has to be optioned uh, first into the major leagues. What I've been told is that it it actually takes somebody... Okay, I thought you could. Cir- I thought you could circumvent that by dropping him into the regular season before you get there. I'll double check at, at my next break. But um, either way, if 
you are like if we're galaxy braining that yeah. Nate Pearson hasn't been talked about because he's going to be the no. secret weapon no. in the you, in the DS. No. It's uh, no, no, those guys should not be factors for you. Julian Merriweather, like that's a that's a nightmare scenario that Julian yeah. Merriweather's in a in a baseball game. Nate Pearson yeah. hasn't pitched, yeah, in in the major leagues in forever. Yeah, you don't want to have his first appearance be in. An all or nothing game two against the Tampa Bay Rays. Okay, well, let me throw this at you then. So, in the best case scenario, in a, especially in a three game series, but maybe even in a five or seven game series, those last couple guys we're going to argue about for the bullpen don't matter. Right. Like, if Mitch White's on the roster, it is to mop up. Yeah. In the event a starter doesn't go or you get a which, huge which lead or something like in, that. In a in a longer series like yeah. that that'll happen. Sometimes you lose a game yeah. you're like, "Oh, punt, punt away," yeah. right? Yeah, live to fight another day. So, yeah. let's look at the guys who are going to be there for sure though. And I want to hear let, let's give it a, a 1 to 5. 1 you don't want to see him unless it's one of those disaster mm -hmm. scenarios. 5 you're okay with him coming in heart of the order one run game. Jordan Romano. Well, 5 Jimmy Garcia, 4.9. Anthony Bass, there's no lefty in Five. the... Okay, Anthony Bass, it's righty-lefty-righty. Righty. Uh, four. Okay. Uh, Tim Meza, righty-lefty-righty. Ugh. Or lefty-righty-lefty, if you prefer. Left, so two lefties and a righty? Yeah, because Cleveland and Seattle both have four everyday players who are left-handed. Tampa Bay only has one lefty they start regularly. Yeah, he's been so good recently. But, yeah, it's hard for me to go higher than the three and a half. Okay. David Phelps. Oh, David Phelps. I mean, two and a half. Okay. This is, well, this is where the drop-off is. Um, Adam Simber. Uh, it has to be three and a half. Okay. Uh, this is maybe the most interesting one, given how he's pitched of late. Zach Pop. Boy, I, I like Zach Pop. Okay, so this is – so what's the scenario? So this is, like, highest leverage. Uh, I'm 100% well, confident that's a five – like yeah like i guess with what zach pop offers this would be a scenario where like you absolutely need a double play ball or something like that because that's what he brings and he's got that heavy sinker and you know they think they've unlocked this thing with uh him and adam simber and their divergent arm angles that make well, them and he, and he doesn't walk anybody he doesn't walk anybody yeah four okay G good canadian boy i can't give him lower than four trevor richards as you're effectively your second lefty, so you don't like yeah. he has the reverse splits. I know, and that means so you don't have to carry Kikuchi. Maybe in leverage, it's 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 two and a half, right? Like, That's so, too high. Yeah, I, it's it's it. This guy, he had an incredible run there late in the season. Nowhere near leverage, right? Yeah. And as an opener, he had a, a moment or two. No, the, the, you you cannot see Trevor Richards in leverage. Okay, so the way we just line that up, you're very very confident with the Romano Garcia Bass back of the bullpen. Yeah. Somewhat there with Meza, Simber and Pop situationally yeah. have their uses. And then David Phelps and Trevor Richards, you're kind of on the fence about. Even then, that's six relievers. That's a ton. That's six relievers you feel good about their roles. Now, that's not expanding them into bigger roles or whatever, but six guys that you have reasonable confidence in. If we're talking about a starter like Manoa Gossman, who's given you six innings, you're in good shape, right? It's. The scenarios where Phelps Richards come up, and honestly, if you don't have Barrios on the wild card roster, you could have two more relievers after that. You're talking yeah. White, Merriweather, Kikuchi, 
Are we are we approaching thirteen pitchers at that point? Yeah, yeah. So you, this is um, we, we've listed seven bullpen guys who are bullpen locks. Eight if you include Richards. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have a ninth mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I guess not for sure because you could just go with an extra position player. But I yeah. don't know that they'd. No, it, do it, that. it does seem like Gabriel Moreno is not going to be a postseason option for this team, despite the fact that huh. he was he was kind of he was he was doing some interesting things at the ballpark so, this week. He was taking fly balls in center field yeah. and he was taking ground balls yeah. at third base and shortstop. I, I'm a little surprised you think he's not a playoff roster option because Danny Jansen DHing today. I know. It's just a second time this year. Mm-hmm. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Santiago Espinal still not back in. I think both catchers are in your best nine, like in your ideal starting lineup. And Moreno lets you DH one of those guys. And it's not just about the injury concern if your catcher gets hurt or whatever. I, I think that's such a small case scenario. You don't need to worry about it as much in short series. But what he allows you to do then is, well, do you have to pinch run for Danny Jansen? Do you have to pinch run for Alejandro Kirk? Is there a really tough righty you want a lefty to come in for for Danny Jansen? Do you want to just use Gabriel Moreno as a pinch runner for one of those catchers because you don't want to you want to save your outfielder for a different situation? I see some utility there, at least like over an Otto Lopez mm-hmm. or your 18th left-handed fast outfield guy. No, I'm with you. I just I the sense that I got in talking to people down at the ballpark is that they don't think that he is going to be on on the postseason we, roster. We get it. You were allowed to do your show from the ballpark. That's right. Listen, if you had been down there, you would also have this incredible insight that I've gleaned from talking to people who know things and just basically stealing their opinions. Uh, I, but, I, yeah. I was down there. I just was hearing the opinions of the drunk guys in the Pe- 500 people level. who were. I was in the 100 and 200. Thank oh, you. Oh, oh, I got oh, left. Oh, oh, now now who's flexing? Yeah, it was uh, it was a smart piece of business by me. A couple weeks back, I got tickets in left field to all the Yankees games on spec with the Aaron Judge watch. So, yeah, we'll see how yeah. that goes. Uh, honestly, I, I like Moreno on the postseason roster. It makes mm-hmm. plenty of sense because, yeah, it's it's you get 26 men. It's, it's a three-game series maximum where you're not going to use, like, the back end of your bullpen. You're definitely... Man, 13 pitchers is way too many for a postseason series. Yeah. You don't need 13 pitchers. My and God. honestly, if you, like in a wild card situation, I'm not even doing the mop-up thing because you have to treat that as if you still have a chance to win. Like, you have to be like, we scored 28 runs in a right. game. We've got to, until the final out, oh, yeah. play so, this like we've got to win. Yeah, seven-game series, you're going to lose a game. Like, yeah. you're not likely to sweep a seven-game series. You're going to lose a game. And, and yeah, you have to live to fight another day. There's no another day in a three-game series. No, you have to do everything you can to win every game, even if you're down five, eight runs. One last question for you. I know you got to go finish prepping your show. Mm-hmm. What is likelier in your mind to happen? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. puts this team on his back for a series, and we're talking about him coming through in a big spot, or we're spending the offseason wondering if Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s down year, which, of course, all caveats, he's been very good still, just not as good as the year prior, if that changes the accounting of this team's future and his extension. Well, mathematically it would have to be the second one because we're like, what it, it's, it's, you're more likely to make it out than, than get a hit in, in any of right, that. But right? you also only need one big hit in <laughs> yeah, a game to be the guy, right? Like, that's true. Like you ever go back and look at uh who was it? Pat Porter's won the world series MVP. Yes. You ever go back and look at those numbers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 
It's like you don't have to do that much in a short series to right. to be a, an icon. Yeah, and I think if you went into that 92 World Series and you're like, hey, what, what are the odds that Pat Borders wins MVP? They would have said, no, I, I think he probably won't. And yeah. you, yeah, that would yeah. have been a And at bet. that point, you don't have all the betting sponsors and stuff, so you would have had to go down to like an actual bookie <laughs> and he would have just looked at you like, yeah. What do you? T- it's like he would look at you the way that those places look at me when I will message or, or tweet at them and like, hey, can I get some G League lines? <laughs> uh, that's how they would look at you about the Pat Borders MVP prop. So uh, I, I guess I, I, I want to be a I framed it that way. But like, where is your yeah, okay. confidence level in Vlad? He did have that walk off this week. It felt like maybe something clicked, and then it went right back to unclicking. I good for him. Hit the walk off on the first pitch, hanging slider. Uh the postseason's about work and counts, right? And and making good pitchers throw a lot of pitches and being patient and having a great approach, which we've seen at times. I, I really feel like Bo Bichette's in that mold right now. Man, it, it'll be exciting to see if he can carry that over into October. I, I wish I could be super optimistic, but th- this has just been a weird year for him, and the hot streaks have come when he's swinging early in counts. Um, Got to get into hitters' counts, which I'm – just it's hard for me to imagine him laying off pitches early in counts. Really is. It's a tough one. Uh the low and away stuff that he rolls over continues to be yeah. an issue. Aaron Judge, a nice example of that. Um Bobachette's done a good job turning that around. We'll see how it goes. You know these teams will be well prepared for all the holes in your swings. But it's playoff baseball. Someone's going to come through. Someone's going to Randy or Rosarena it. Yeah. Someone's going to Pat Borders it. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Ben Ennis, fingers crossed for you and only you That's right. that the time slot works out so you still have a show next yes. Friday. Yes. I know I'll have one no matter what because they'll just be like, Oh, Whatever yeah. the pregame is, <laughs> like if if it's at one o'clock, yeah. though, I'll I'm sure I'll bump into like twelve to one or something like that. Um, I'll I'll tell you what. Can I you, come on your show? Yes. If you don't have a show, you can come on mine. Thanks. That's great. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm excited. You just want in the stadium. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ben Ennis of <laughs> Fan Drive Time. He'll talk to you again in about half an hour. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks. See ya. As Ben Ennis, uh, host of Fan Drive Time. On Sportsnet 590, the fan. He's got you from five to seven today before we kick it over to Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph for the call 707 first pitch, uh, Jays and Red Sox. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at what's gone wrong for Nick Pavetta, what's gone right for Alec Manoa, how these two teams line up for tonight. Um, we'll also get to some of those leftover uh, mailbag questions from yesterday. That's next on Jays Talk Plus. On Sports at 590, The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's Jesus a Calgary indigenous rapper and activist uh, again, playing some indigenous hip hop throughout the show. Jesus, uh, JB, the first lady, Sonny knows reds kids, check them out, check out, uh, I believe Spotify and Apple music in those places had um, indigenous artist playlists out there today. Um, I tweeted out a couple. If you want to check that out, some resources on Instagram uh, as well. I know it's 440 right now, but uh, in recognition of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, 
radio stations from across the country are coming together across Canada to amplify, elevate, listen to, and learn from Indigenous voices with the Day to Listen 2022. It's in partnership with the Gord Downey and Channy Wenjack Fund. Listeners can tune into radio stations across the country, including our music stations 98.1 CHFI and KISS 92.5. Uh, from 6 a.m. this morning to 6 p.m. today, uh, listeners will hear stories from Indigenous leaders, residential school survivors, musicians, and teachers. For more information, you can visit adaytolisten.ca. The Jays will also have uh, some pre- and in-game recognitions. Uh, Jays Care Foundation uh, doing $150,000 in community givebacks. Uh, you'll hear the anthem in multiple languages tonight, uh, and the Jays will be joined by uh, not only survivors of the residential school systems and their family and community members, uh, but 250 kids from the Indigenous Rookie League Jays Care program. So keep an eye out for that stuff down at the Rogers Center. Um, again, please engage with that stuff. Uh, if you see you know, those popular infographics on Instagram. If you see resources get retweeted, it doesn't have to be in the moment, but um, we all owe, we all owe it to, you know, relearn and listen and, and acknowledge what the history of this country is um, as a means of, you know, continuing to make it better. So uh, I have played some indigenous music throughout the show. That's a, a way I have found to, connect with and learn about um, indigenous culture here, here in Canada. Um, indigenous art I've found is a great way to do that. Um, you can, there are a lot of books to read studies. Um, there are a lot of resources out there. Engage with something. Um, so that's down at the ballpark tonight. Also down at the ballpark tonight will be Alec Manoa against Nick Pavetta. Before we line that one up, couple Small questions in the text line, uh, just to clarify some things. Simon in Bowmanville asks, if knock on wood, the Jays finish top of the wild card with games to play, is Kikuchi given a start? That's an interesting one. Um, if, if this were the days where the September rosters were however big you want, I would say no. I would think that that's, uh, you know, call up Thomas Hatch or Casey Lawrence or something like that. You only get 28 guys, and if you send someone down, you send them down. So uh, I think, yeah, I think Kikuchi, whether it's, you're the bulk guy out of the bullpen or you start a bullpen day or whatever. I think game 162 could potentially become a, a Yusei Kikuchi game there if the Jays have it locked up and if he wasn't needed in game 161. Uh, Mark from Mississauga asks how Caleb Ort, uh, the Boston Red Sox player who is on the restricted list today and not here, but is intending to come and join the Red Sox tomorrow once the restrictions are lifted, uh, how he can get back into the U.S., if he's unvaccinated, um, Mark, uh, U.S. citizens are not required to provide the same proofs heading into the U.S. that non-U.S. citizens are. So uh, that's the difference there. Um, Rob from Guelph asks, if me or any of my egghead buddies ran the win projections on Baltimore, if they still had Trey Mancini and their old closer, uh, Jorge Lopez, for the rest of the season, um, two good players could have given them another game or two spot in the playoffs. That's true. Uh, those are good players. A reliever over the course of two months is not going to like even the absolute best relievers. Like you're not even talking about a, a win over replacement level. And that's before considering that Felix Batista has been pretty good filling in. Um, there's a trickle down to the bullpen. Of course, uh, Trey Mancini, some of those plate appearances have gone to 
good players as well. So um, that's a, a factor there. The, the honest truth, though, is that they are five games back of a playoff spot. And I don't think anything they could have done with Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez would have been uh, much different. Uh, but I will ask my egghead buddies, Rob from Guelph. Um, Maurice from Orangeville says, thanks for bringing up memories of Pat Borders. He was probably one of the toughest ball players that's ever stepped on a baseball field. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have the sharpest of memories of that because most of my 92, 93 world series memories are from watching VHS tapes that were looking back on it. I was, a uh, pretty young at that point, but it's pretty easy to see why certain guys, uh, are remembered so fondly in this city. And, not a bad thing to remind the current crop of guys that, hey, you win in this city, you are pretty legendary forever. Uh, you have a really long time ahead of you uh, to be appreciated in this city. Um, Bobachet, by the way, um, the rally the Jays had on Wednesday. Uh, he said it was one of the loudest Roger Centers crowds he's ever heard. That was passed on by uh, Ethan from Sports Illustrated. Um, if Bobachet thinks that was something that would give him chills at Roger Center, um, yeah, as Vlad said the other day after the walk-off, Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion passed on that you haven't experienced Toronto until you experience Roger Center in the playoffs. Yeah, get ready, guys. Lock up that home field advantage. Lock it up. They're going to do that today. They're going to try to do it against Nick Pavetta and the Red Sox. Nick Pavetta, good Canadian guy, but uh, hard times. Hard times, daddy. 448 ERA he comes in with, component metrics that back that up. He had a really good May and June and then kind of fell off a cliff. Some of that is he's struggled the third time through the order. Some of it is just, as Jen McCaffrey laid out for us earlier, um, he's been really inconsistent. His command's been iffy, things like that. Um, here's also the reality about Nick Pavetta. What is your identity as a pitcher? Now, not everyone needs one. Some guys can be a 450 ERA back of the rotation guy and just eat innings. That's fine. But you look at Nick Pavetta's stats and you look at his stat cast stuff, he is not above average at anything. And that's a hard way when it comes down to it or when you're seeing a team for the third, fourth, fifth time this year. It's a hard way to live. Um, he does have a decent fastball. It's 93 miles an hour, but it has that nice rising action to it. It's a high spin fastball. Opponents only hitting 234 against it. Um, but that can be hit for power pretty well. He probably shouldn't throw that pitch 50% of the time, honestly. Um, he'll mix in a curveball with that. Probably his best pitch, um, big spin. So that means, you know, with a curveball, it's got that big drop off the table. Opponents hitting 300 against it, but almost never hit it hard. It's a ground ball machine. So maybe it's something you can hit for average pretty well, but it's hard to drive that curveball. He'll also throw an 86 mile an hour slider. So he kind of hits three velocity tiers there. Opponents hitting 204 against it. And it's his only real hope of uh, consistent swing and miss stuff against lefties. He'll also mix in a changeup, but you won't see that much against righties. The Jays only have two lefties in the lineup as we'll get to in a moment. So um, not too much to see there. The Jays have seen Pavetta three times this year, twice in April, once in June. Uh, he surrendered nine earned runs over 14 and two thirds innings. 15 hits, and the big one, 11 walks 
over those 14 to two thirds innings. So um, a patient Blue Jays team today may be a successful Blue Jays team today. Bobachet, George Springer, Kevin Biggio have all hit Pavetta very well. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been solid. And then Alejandro Kirk, Ryan Altapia, and Whit Merrifield, all pretty good in small samples. Tasker Hernandez, Matt Chapman have struggled against them, um, but not necessarily against pitchers of that ilk. So we'll see how that plays out. The Jays will line up as follows. If I stop accidentally closing the box that has the lineup in front of me. Uh, George Springer, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Alejandro Kirk catches Alec Manoa and hits fourth, which is notable for something we'll get to in a second. Matt Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez, Rymel Tapia on left. Danny Jansen, for just the second time this year, will be the designated hitter. And Whit Merrifield rounds it out at second base, his ninth consecutive start. So no Biggio, despite the career success against Pavetta. We haven't seen a ton of him of late. Jackie Bradley Jr., Bradley Zimmer, Gabriel Moreno, Otto Lopez all uh, on the bench. So Jansen being DH and Kirk catching Alec Manoa may be hints at what this Blue Jays team would do in a wild card series where Jansen's going to catch Gosman and you'd want Kirk DH in that game. One of the questions has been, if Manoa wants to throw to Kirk or you want Manoa to throw to Kirk, does Jansen DH? He does here today. Though that lineup will try to support Alec Manoa, who comes in with a 231 ERA. He has only allowed four earned runs over 35 innings in September. And he's kind of the anti-Nick Pavetta in that Maybe there's not that one elite thing that Alec Manoa does, but he's above average to well above average at everything. And that includes limiting hard contact, which is great. You know the deal with him against righties. He's going to go slider, fastball, sinker. Um, The sliders is swing and miss pitch. The sinkers is ground ball pitch. Nobody hits any of them well. Against lefties, he'll go fastball, sinker, slider, changeup. The changeup is a, a solid enough weapon that... I'd honestly be curious to see him throw it against righties. Um, The big thing with Manoa, too, is that there's balance across those pitches volume-wise. He's talked about how he'll judge swings on the fly and determine, you know, whether the next pitch should be a fastball or a sinker, um, you know, and and he'll read hitters that way and and work with the catchers that way. It's been successful against the Red Sox. Uh, Three earned runs over 20 innings against them this year with a 20-to-2 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Alex Verdugo's hit him hard, but the rest of this is not great. Um, Xander Bogarts, Kike Hernandez, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, all pretty bad numbers against Alec Manoa. And he does have platoon splits. You'll hear that. You'll see teams put more lefties in the lineup. When you say a guy as good as Manoa has platoon splits, though, that just means lefties have a prayer against him 239 batting average only 374 slugging so it's not as if uh you know it's a sub 700 ops that he's giving up to lefties so it's not like there's a a ton of that the red sox will line up as follows jaron duran rafael devers xander bogarts alex verdugo jd martinez tristan casas abraham almonte old friend reese mcguire and christian arroyo this is not a very good red sox team it is not a Red Sox team that's done much, that's that's shown much fight the last little while. Jays are going to want to win. The Jays are going to want to keep winning, of course, because winning's good, but also you can lock up home field technically as soon as Sunday. That's almost surely not going to happen, but if the Jays swept the, 
the Red Sox, the Mariners got swept and Tampa Bay lost at least two games. The Jays would clinch their magic number against Seattle six magic number against Tampa's five. As a reminder, when you're looking at the standings, um, Tampa Bay and Seattle both hold the tiebreakers against Toronto. So if it does end up in a tie, uh, the Jays would slide down. The Jays would also be the the third of the three teams in a three-way tie. The Mariners have a tough decision on Tuesday where if they're still within two and a half games of the Jays, they'll technically be able to catch them, but they have a doubleheader Tuesday and then play Wednesday. And then there's only one off day before the wildcard series. Their fan base is really starved for the playoffs. It's been 20 plus years. I don't know that you could prioritize that enough. I don't know that you could tell me it's worth enough to burn through all your best guys in a double header to get home field advantage when you don't have any turnaround time before the actual series. I just think that's a lot of games and a lot of leverage. So they might want to, you know, see where things are at as of Monday, maybe as of Tuesday morning before making some of those tough decisions. Um, couple of Jays things to keep an eye on just statistically Alhauer Kirk still has a small chance of hitting 300. If he ended the season hot here, Bo Bichette and Vlad both chasing a hundred RBI, um, JR producer JR Manitad also putting in my doc here that uh, through their first career 500 first 500 career games, uh, Vladdy Jr. and Vladdy Sr. remain pretty similar. Um, Jr. a little behind on runs, homers, and RBI, but ahead on uh, walks. And then obviously Vlad Sr.'s uh, offensive environment allowed for a higher OPS. Tonight is Vlad's 500th game, by the way. Bo Bichette already has the Jays record for most hits in September. Uh, he needs two more to break the mark for any single month. So there you go as a Jay. Um, he also leads baseball with 19 extra base hits and is tied for the major league lead with 26 RBI this month. Crazy as it sounds, Aaron judges slump. Uh, Bo Bichette might win player of the month in the American league. The other thing to watch is Bradley Zimmer. If he gets into a game or not, he is closing in on some, remarkably historic. I don't come to the plate stats. Uh, we'll talk about that more Monday. Cause we've got a couple days to uh, continue with that. We've got a couple days to continue to monitor it. Uh, Kevin Gosman also closing in on some Jays uh, stuff. When it comes to strikeouts, Alec Manoa currently holding the third best ERA and the second best whip in franchise history for a starting pitcher season. He's on the mound tonight. Should be a fun one down at Rogers center. A lot on the line, even though the Jays have already clinched. Maybe they'll celebrate a little later, the clinch that happened yesterday, thanks to J.D. Martinez. Maybe they'll get up by like 10 runs and serve J.D. Martinez a, a nice meatball as a thank you. Uh, we'll see. Thanks to Ben Ennis for coming on with us. Thanks to Jen McCaffrey from The Athletic, Keegan Matheson as well. Thanks to Jr. and Derek behind the glass and uh, to you guys for all the questions and things like that. And again, um, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Engage with that stuff earnestly uh we're back we moved to three hours on monday on jay's talk plus